Delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv. Taking a bite out of technology. Hello, welcome to episode 507 of the Two Techies for Saturday, May 16th, 2020. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in around an hour or less with Aaron Fisher and myself, Jimmy Bunting. Come together once a week to discuss, debate, converse, scrutinize and explore the world of tech. On this week's episode, secure email turns out to be not so secure after all. Why would the FBI want to know what you're looking at online? Without reason. And Elon Musk gives Tesla employees an ultimatum. Welcome to your show, your technology show, episode 507 of The Two Tackies for Saturday, May 16th. 2020. We're halfway there through the month, which means we've actually, for the month of May, we'll have five episodes because Saturday falls on five days the 2nd, the 9th, the 16th, 23rd, and the 30th. Doesn't happen all that often. So you get more bang for your buck, even though it's completely free. That doesn't really work, does it? It's someone paying you to do this, Aaron. Wait, what? I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know, cost per episode? No. Oh. So, mm, never mind. An attempt at humor. Welcome to uh, <laughs> what, what has been for the last 10 years a technology podcast surrounding technology news. And even through a pandemic we're we're managing to get news okay it's slow we're not seeing very many product releases which is a shame because this would be a time of a bit of fruition coming into summer months leading up to i hate to say it the christmas season but that's when companies are preparing and planning and, and and starting to show what they have to offer not so sure how that's going to pan out this year we are however seeing rumors for the iphone 12 which i think is still to go ahead in september and i'm sure apple have plans in place and had plans in place to do so even before covid19 hit the world so I, it, it will be interesting to see whether or not that does happen and something it's music to my ears and probably yours aren't i i think apple have been listening to this show because the rumor is that the price point will be okay will not be higher again because that is a worry especially with apple products at the minute tim cook's a big fan absolutely listens every week i'm sure basically I'm sure. we dictate what apple will do <laughs> in the so, background new imac pro new imac please uh bring back the ipods let's get the newton going tim come on <laughs> let's pick it back up get back to the good old days the good old days what were the good old days Define. exactly mm. if you don't know we do have an interview with the co-founder of apple munchtech.tv forward slash was this back to the 18th of january 2012 but it's still relevant he is still one of the main pioneers for the machines we use today and that's crazy and he's such a humble guy too he's such an easy to talk to um, and easy to get along with person which is crazy so yeah we were saying through the week Aaron, actually before we go on the quick news or anything my plans to upgrade the iMac to an SSD and no, not to take the screen off because that is not a good idea in my head. If it's not screws, it's not coming off for me anyway. So uh, SSD upgrade, RAM upgrade, and you're convinced that off your research, i.e. you doing the same, that it will make it into a new machine. I mean, I have barely a year newer machine. We've basically got identical iMac, both of a similar age, both of a similar, well, slot. Bonus. Um, <laughs> I remember when I bought mine and with the 27 inch, one of the, the wonderful things is that thank you, Apple, you can still upgrade the RAM. Obviously not so lucky for the uh, 21 and a half inch uh, iMac users, but for the 27, it was always buy the base model. I'll upgrade the RAM later. It came with like a measly eight gigabytes. And even back when I bought it in 2013, eight gigabytes was measly. Um, easy to upgrade, makes the world a difference. It's not the cheapest stuff anymore because it's still DDR3. Obviously, the current being DDR4. I don't know if we're going to DDR5 yet, but DDR4 is the cheapest. RAM works in weird ways where kind of the latest is always the cheapest or tends to work that way. Um, like if you look at some, if you want some DDR2 stuff now for older machines, it's crazy expensive just because it's not made. Um, but obviously, the shortfall of the iMac or the 27 inch iMac um, over the past 
decade has been that Apple glue the screen on, um, which means we get a wonderful, sleek, slimline machine. But the disadvantage is, should anything go wrong, should you want to upgrade anything, you're a bit stuck. Now, it is completely possible to open the machine up. Um, I don't think it's the most difficult thing in the world, but I'm 100% with you that trying to handle a big 27-inch piece of glass is not top of the to-do list um, on any given weekend. And, um, and just sorry to intercept very quickly, we're, we're saying, or you're saying about Apple's joining methods with their products. It is indicative of the Apple that puts form over function. And I hate to say it, kind of like it. <laughs> I kind of like the, the, the profile of the, the iMac. I, it, it, it doesn't actually bother me. The older ones, the, the slightly thicker, so the generation just before the, the one which was concaved, I'm nearly sure it was magnets which joined the screen. Yeah. As opposed to a sort of double-edged tape material. Yeah, we've got a um, previous generation aluminium or unibody iMac in the house, and you're right, the yeah. glass just pops off. The screen stays in the machine, which is kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if that's the worst of the two, whilst I appreciate the glass is really easy to get off, you've then got the exposed display, which is like mm. a magnet for dust and everything. When you yeah. put that glass back on, it'll never be clean again. Um, <laughs> so to pull the display off now, which is obviously bonded just like the iPhone, it's bonded to the glass. It's a lot cleaner, um, but you're right, you have to, if you want to take it apart, you have to buy new sticky as well. You can go to iFixit and they, they, they'll they sell you the uh, correct shape gasket and whatnot to go around the outside. It's a process. We're not making excuses here that, you know, Apple are a wonderful company. It's a process that stinks. Um, mm. I, the iMacs have, to be fair, even all the way back to the original G3, never been the easiest to update. Um, the G3 obviously had the advantage that you could see into it, um, but that didn't mean it was any easier to open. Now, it was all screwed together and clipped together, so completely possible with a little bit of uh, elbow grease to get into. Uh, it progressively got more difficult when the white IMAX came along. The G4 was a bit of a pain. Um, to get at the components in the bottom was really easy. You just did undid some screws and um, the little kind of clamshell bit just came off. But obviously the screen being mounted on the arm separately was a, was a slightly bigger pain. Um, but upgrading a disc, upgrading the memory was was piece of cake. Uh, when we started to go to the G5 shape, which is when they became the, uh, I guess, the shape that we know today, um, you had to start unclipping things. Um, you used to have to put pry tools in the back. Um, there used to be slots in the back that used to kind of pry the front off um, with clips. Um, whereas basically Apple, over the years, just they moved to magnets and then they decided just to glue it together, which uh, is a huge pain in the ass. But yes, external SSD, plug it in by USB. You're not going to get like MacBook Pro or iMac Pro or Mac Pro speeds out of it. You know, you're not going to get anywhere near that that three gigabits per second read or write, you know, you're barely going to get 450, 500 maybe. Um, It's still a SATA 3 or SATA 6, I should say, connection in the the USB caddy. And then you're limited by USB 3, which is five gigabits on these machines. I assume you, I think you have USB 3, don't you? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're then limited by USB has to go, you know, it's not a direct controller, you know, has to go through USB interface. So you lose speed at every point. But four or 500 megabits per second read or write is still a hell of a lot faster than the like 80 or 100 that the hard drive will give you at best yeah um i cannot express to you the difference in the, it makes it feel like this you know this machine is seven or eight years old now it makes it feel like it could go on for another seven or eight years yeah there's still the thing is the thing is the, the components inside is a core i5 it's i mean it's it's very well designed and in terms of the other pieces in the background there are no issues with them and supposedly, uh, can or can't vouch, Apple have you know continued to optimize their operating system to run on 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 the systems. So yeah, I think it, apart from the, the RAM and the hard drive, really, the, correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but the the other components still have a bit of life and, and future proofness in them. Yeah, I mean the i5. Whilst I don't know about yours, this is a a, a quad core i5. Mm. Um, it's fast and it does everything you want it to do, but there's no getting around. It is like six generations old or something like yeah. that. Like it's a yeah. fourth or fifth gen and they're up on the 10th i think now it's by no means a a new chip 
um the graphics you know this has got mine's got an nvidia chip in i don't know what yours is going apple don't work with nvidia anymore um so there is always that risk of if they decide to drop nvidia entirely from newer os's then things could get a little tricky maybe mm. the slight advantage of something like the mac pro existing is apple instead of kind of consolidating the components they use they all of a sudden have to work with you know more and more widespread different ones um which may help us kind of older computer users i think I think the only thing we're going to face is the, the fact that Apple will end of life um, support with the OS at some point. Um, but you have to remember, it's basically, I, 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 from what I understand, is in the macOS installer, there's like a little, we'll call it a text file, um, just for easiness, that basically says it doesn't work on these machines. And that's what stops the installer. People have found a myriad of easy ways to just remove that and then it'll install on a machine perfectly fine. Obviously, you take... Uh, you take hardware support and things like and software support into your own hands at that point. But I don't think people have had any major issues. One of the big advantages of, I think, the Apple platform is, you know, these machines weren't cheap. You know, I think a 27-inch iMac today is like 1,700 quid and it is not good value for money. You know, it comes with far too little memory, still comes with a spinning hard disk. You know, all of these things just don't make it good value. There are rumors that a refresh is, is imminent, maybe even a slight redesign, but whatever. The machines aren't cheap. Um, I'm well aware you can build a PC for you can take your 1700 quid and, and build a much better spec PC but these iMacs like you say they're just trucks they just keep going they're power efficient which is a lovely thing that's the thing it's like I, I don't think when people go oh you can build an equivalent PC to your iMac it's like yeah but this iMac takes like no power mm. yeah, it's great on the electric bill each month and it's a display and a computer all in one whereas a PC just sucks like hundreds of watts of power um, whereas the iMac uses like 60 um, a big thing on Apple products is just that power consumption something that goes overlooked um, massively but yeah and they only I'll only get better with uh, as you get newer do it on the machine but yeah you need to get some more ram in your machine get some uh get an ssd um, mac os is dead simple to uh tell it to boot off the external ssd and you'll be uh you'll be away i'm gonna go off the afqp program when i put the ssd in what is afqp the aaron fisher quality promise oh I like I, it. if it doesn't meet my standards i get a refund promise from you Promises, uh, I would like it to be AFPS. There isn't that Apple file system. Um, because I would Aaron like it Fisher. to be promise suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll have a discussion about that one. But yeah, it's in the works. It, it's going to happen because I have noticed a slowing, shall we say, which is also indicative that the machine needs a fresh install, which is fine. But I, I just think the demand we're putting on computers now, that the hardest drives just don't cut it. Which brings me on to another rant actually because yes you you buy the product and and i i expect it to last longer than a lesser priced product and i don't mean that in a, oh what you pay for means it must be good or I, I don't firmly believe that something is good just because it cost a lot or didn't and so on normally there's a correlation because the quality will be there as opposed to something where the quality might might not but as aaron stated you can easily build a PC with you know similar, if not better, specs for less, and, and I completely appreciate that. It, it's horses for courses. It depends what you want and what you you're interested in and what works for you. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but kind of ask myself because I think the the current model I have, I'm nearly sure Catalina supports the one before it, and then nothing less. But I think that's to do with the infrastructure of the, the hardware, right? It's not yeah. so much just them dropping them for every year they drop a new one. Exactly. It's just it, they drop when they have to. Apple don't tend to knock the year up every year, so it's not like a rolling seven years or something. Um, you're right, it tends to be chipset support that gets dropped. Now, it's not saying that whatever, 10, 16, 10, 15? What are we on now? 10, 15. So it's not to say 10.16 won't come out this year and they won't drop support for the 13 or 12, um, but it'll be more likely, you know, it won't work on fourth gen or third gen, you know, Intel chips. Yeah. So I, I, I'm thinking that and, and, and sort of realizing, okay, well, if I got 10 years out of the machine, I would be happy. That's the 2012. So really, I need another two years at least. Anything more would be great. But then I, I kind of thought, right, well, if I were to upgrade at some point, and this is not on the cards right now because I just don't see the need because it, I, the one I have does everything I need and more. It's not, I, I, I'm not, I, I would just be upgrading for the sake of upgrading. And 27 inch, the quote cheapest runs 1,749 pounds. Okay. Which is a slight jump to what they were before, but we'll go with it. 
But that's with a fusion drive. That is with a hard disk drive. If you want an SSD, the cheapest they'll do it for is £100 for a 256 gigabyte. For an equivalent sized SSD drive, i.e. one terabyte, add £500 onto that, bringing it to 2249. How do, I, I, how, how do they justify that? Mm. I, I just don't understand. I get that you pay for a quality product, but then that leaves me with doubts. It leaves me with doubts that Apple charge more than they should because... Okay, I don't mind paying for the, the, the fantastic design, the amazing quality, the unification process of the whole system, the built-in and integrated platform on the hardware, and the fact that Apple have overall control of both, which is why they work so well most times. But where are they getting £500 from for a one terabyte SSD? Well, and the uh, price you end up paying for that entire machine, it's like that, the same price as a 16-inch MacBook Pro, which is way better spec um in the first place so it's like the 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 lineup just doesn't make sense i i I do think they need to review that i mean from what we've heard the imac is next on the cards um i appreciate you know rumors are is always something but um the imac is the imac is always the machine where it, it for a long time the imac was the mac you know that's what people thought of when they thought of a Mac, and then it, it slowly became the MacBook. Um, and I think now it's you know, probably the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro is what, what people think of. Um, and the iMac has kind of fallen by the wayside slightly. It's not gone unloved. You look at the years, and I think like it went 12, 13, 14, 15. They didn't update it in 16, um, and then 17, which is the iMac Pro as well, but it did get an update in 17, and then uh, 29. 19 as well so it's you know apart from 2018 and 2016 it's had a pretty good uh, run this past decade mm. um so i think the iMac kind of flies under the radar but every time they update it, it's like they they absolutely do the bare minimum to it it's the same story we saw with the mac mini just this uh past update um it got an update they could stick a new badge on it but it wasn't an update um i don't even think it brought it to the correct yeah, it's still 8th gen Core i3 chip. It just improved it slightly. Um, bearing in mind, 10th gen is the latest. So, um, yeah, they, uh, they've they been getting away a bit with charging a lot for updating something for what feels like they can just say, yes, we updated the Mac Mini in 2020. It's like, did you though? <laughs> mm, yeah, their marketing department's working overtime. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, without further ado, we will go to the quick news. Google's Chrome browser will begin blocking resource-heavy ads starting in late August, the company has announced this week. By not displaying those resource-heavy ads, Chrome could ease the strain on your phone's battery or your home network capacity. We have recently discovered that a fraction of a percent of ads consume a disproportionate share of device resources, such as battery and network data, without the user knowing about it said Marshall Vale, a product manager on the Chrome team. These ads, such as those that mine cryptocurrency, are poorly programmed or are unoptimized for network usage, can drain battery life, saturate already strained networks, and cost money. If an ad is using too many resources, Chrome will show an error page in the frame where the ad would have been shown. The average broadband speed in the UK rose by 18% last year, regulator Ofcom says. The annual home broadband report says the average home speed is now 64 megabits per second, up from 54.2 in the year before. The 18% boost is in line with the growth in previous years. Data for the report was gathered in November 2019, but updated with changes during the coronavirus lockdown when speeds fell by approximately 2%. Ofcom says the small decrease shows that performance is holding up well during the pandemic despite the increased demand. Musicians and songwriters in the UK received a record amount of money last year. The loss of live music poses a major threat to income this year. The warning was issued by PRS for Music, the body that makes sure 145,000 songwriters, composers and publishers in the UK are paid when their music is played or performed around the world. The organisation collected a record £810 million last year, which is a rise of 8.7%. It did, however, say that COVID-19 would result in an inevitable decline in 2020 and 2021. And finally, Facebook has purchased the GIF maker, Giphy, and plans to make it part of the Instagram team. A report from Axios values the deal at $400 million, 
but Facebook would not confirm the final price they paid. In a blog post, Instagram's VP of Products, Vishal Shah, said third-party firms will still have access to Giphy's library of gifts and stickers, but many of those sites, including Twitter and Pinterest, are obviously direct competitors to Facebook. Here's a, an interesting discussion. We're going off on so many tangents. So you, I, I think I only asked a few weeks ago because I kind of realized on my MacBook that the battery was sometimes draining and draining and draining quicker than, than it, it might or should. And I am using Chrome and I, I do question whether that's part of the problem. And and you sort of said, well, I haven't used Chrome for ages. I.e. I haven't used, aside from to do the obvious website testing when I build a website, um, I haven't used Chrome in years. Um, I've bounced around between Safari and Firefox over the past like, probably like three, four years. Um, mm. And I've settled on Firefox for it must be a year or two years now. Um, Firefox got a whole heap better um, about a year or two when Firefox Quantum came out. It got a whole heap better. And then, oof, I want to say like six months, maybe a year ago, they released an update which basically not fixed, but it, it made Firefox more in line with Safari when it comes to power usage on mobile devices. Firefox very much suffered from the same problem that Chrome does on laptops where it would just eat battery life. Um, and they, Mozilla were very well aware of that problem and it was something they actively tried and are obviously still working on, but they did a very, very good job. For a long time, when I started being a Firefox user, it was very much only on my desktop. I would still use Safari on my MacBook for exactly the reason of battery life. Safari, through all of its downfalls, I think as a browser, um, it, I mean, it's great, but it, it does lack from a few things, especially if you're a developer. The developer tools in Firefox and, and Chrome are just unmatched. Um, but Safari, for what it's downfalls, has always been amazing when it comes to mm. battery life. That's one thing that Apple always seemed to prioritize for obvious reasons, um, and they do a very, very good job of that. Um, on the contrary, it's something that Chrome and Firefox in recent years really, really started to suffer from, and people really, really started to notice. Um, I think Chrome, I think Google and Chrome have been actively working on that as well. Um, I think it's got a lot better over the years. Um, I just know that I speak from experience when, when Firefox won't drain your battery in 30 seconds seconds flat anymore fair enough uk average speeds up despite obviously this lockdown mantra that's going on and uh, and the wobble so uh, interestingly enough through the week i was putting you know files online significant size of files for a backup and it, it was working in the background working in the background working in the background continuing to work in the background and then it was done and then i went to upload a bit more <laughs> and I just I looked and I thought it's running very, very slowly. I don't understand. So I, I did a speed test as it was uploading. One down, point three up. Oh, is is this what it's become? And then I reset the router and it was fine. It was back up to, I don't know, 70 or 80 down and 20 up or whatever. <laughs> I kind of thought this is what we had years ago, I was going to say, is- do you remember when we were excited about like getting updated to like 10 megabits a second? Yeah. You know, it's like five was amazing. I think, when And was- anything more than two or three up was just out of the world. Oh, yeah. I think for years, I, I don't know about you, but for years when we started the show, I think like three megabits per second up was like the maximum on this end. Bearing in mind, it's not mm. that much better now, but... Yeah, priority is given to downstream. I, yeah, I, it's... It's indicative of the reliance we put on that technology now for everything, for streaming, for storing data online, for uploading, for social media, for, for everything. And everything we put online has increased in size and quality too. Hence that increase of, of the technology. So the, the, the two work hand in hand, really. One has to improve for the other to go up. And that's, that's innovation. So it's good to see. It's also good to see that the average speeds are increasing because the UK has been staggered for years. Uh, there, there hasn't been the developments that there could or should potentially have been. But it's good to see the general upward trend is up. Not so sure about America. America is, and I'm not, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but for, from what I know, is very state specific, very geographic specific. In one area, you could have amazing out of this world space. And in other areas, you could fail to get a dial up connection, seemingly. And okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but there is that general, and that's just the, the, the issue of size, the, the, the sheer scale of the country and, and, and the landmass. But you would think in 2020 we'd have the solutions to these problems by now, right? Um, I mean, directly in 2020, I think we have bigger issues to solve as, as the world. I, I, I don't mean right now. I don't mean working on it. I mean, by this point, we should have. And it's, uh, yeah. it's obviously not helped by the fact that they're increasing internet speeds when it comes to mobile. And people are like, no, I'm going to burn it down. Mm. Um, that is true. Just, you know, incredible. But um, it is. 
we've 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 spoken so many times over the years about internet speed. It comes up, you know, every so often. I know we've always made the comparison between the states and here, um, but specifically talking here, it is getting better. It's getting hand over fist better each year. Um, each of the big players, Virgin Media, BT, we spoke in great depth about how it worked last week. Um, they make huge strides in increasing everyone's speeds for free or for relatively low cost every year. You could have started on a package of 10 megs 10 years ago and more likely on Virgin Media, you're going to be in the hundreds now, probably through very little to no price change. Um, it's just such a big competition that that increase is mega. An average of 64 megabits per second across the country is pretty incredible to be honest. Obviously, I assume it's of a relatively small sample size dotted around the country. Obviously, they can't can't get everyone's speed, but um, 64 is decent. 64 is good enough for 99.5% of people in this country, I think. Um, and most people don't need an upload to match that at all. There are obviously us who would like an upload to match that, um, or to even get anywhere close, but uh, most people We'll do fine with with, uh, with the speeds I seem to be getting. Yeah, something which actually popped into my head. I think I saw an advert for Tidal through the week, the lossless music streaming service, and it was looking at the, the comments in said advert, and people were sort of saying, "Well, you know, if you want if you want lossless music, buy it from the artist directly and actually give them something for it, and so on and so forth." And, and yeah, I kind of agree. I, I don't see the point in lossless streaming at this point in time. Uh, maybe I'm outspoken, but I think that. The normal Yo. files do just fine. No, I'm speaking for general use cases. I'm not talking about if you're really sitting in a perfect room but, with studio grade speakers and and an absolutely perfect soundproofed environment. But you just that that's exactly it. You just sort of contradicted yourself. Like Tidal isn't for you. Then Tidal is for the people who do want oh, to yeah. experience music. So you may yeah, not see but, the point in it. But you're also listening on you know consumer grade audio equipment. Whoa, whoa, my speakers are good. Whoa. Still Whoa. consumer grade though. Whoa. You know, it's like AirPods. No, I I, I um, know, I know. I'm not joking. Pro. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I I know. But they're advertising to me. They're advertising to consumer. They're advertising to plenty of consumers, as was evident in the advert, which had plenty of comments underneath. With either with two types of people, you had the I love audio. I am into every detail of audio. It must be lossless. It must sound perfect. And I will notice the difference in 320 kilobits per second versus 128 versus lossless, which is fine. But those people were very against Tidal in the fact that they said, buy the music from the artist. Give them the money. Don't use a streaming service oh, yeah. to, to stream lossless, which is okay. I get it. Or then there was the consumer who said, well, I'm just using Spotify or Prime Music or whatever. I mean, I think- and, 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 and the point is, it, it kind of it wasn't so much me thinking about that. I wasn't really, I, I sort of thought, well, yeah, because I've tried Tidal before. And, and in some ways, you could notice slight differences if you really look for it. To an on-trained ear, of course. But more so, I was thinking about royalties and thinking of how music streaming services have worked for the good and the bad of, of artists because they have helped artists who would never become anything or be discovered in the past. And that's not in saying they're not any good. That's in saying just there wasn't... People people wouldn't have bought a full album from someone if they didn't really like their music or didn't already really know they liked it. That's how music worked years ago. You bought the CD knowing, I love that artist. Whereas now you can listen to anyone's music, discover you know undiscovered artists who then become discovered and, and, and become very successful out of it. But then it doesn't work for the big guys. Well, it does, but it doesn't work in the fact that they don't hold the monopoly on music anymore. It's not just those people who people listen to. So the royalties become a bit more, not evenly split, but more saturated with more artists, I guess. And I just hope that that continues to suspend them but that, and, and help them rather than it being split across so many artists and then them not getting the, the funds or royalties they need. But that, this is great to see that they reach a record high. That's what we need. And that's, I think that's encapsulating and bringing streaming because when streaming first came out, a lot of artists were completely against it, hellbent against it because they, they, they thought rightfully so, what's in it for us? So seemingly the industry's done something to make it for them. Would that be a fair enough? You're into your music, Aaron. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, streaming still sucks. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I so, just you're into your music, Aaron. You did buy vinyls when I was with you a few months ago. <clears throat> sorry, I had to drop that in. I don't own a vinyl player. I just like vinyls <laughs> for the wall art. I want to get that clear because mm. I have like a whole yeah yeah. I have a whole stack of brand new ones still in their box because I don't have anywhere to hang them. It's got that bad. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Streaming sucks for the artist. It almost sounded like I was just going to say streaming sucks. I love streaming. I'm with you 100%. It allows me to discover so much new music that I wouldn't necessarily do any other way. So whilst I'm only giving the artist peanuts, 
I would be giving them zero before because I wouldn't know about them. So it's a double-edged sword. What I do often do is a band I really like, an artist I really like, if they're coming out with something new, I will pre-order it. I will buy the physical copy. I have so many CDs and, and some of the vinyl stuff is from pre-order. Um, basically stuff that will never get played, but it's like a way of supporting the artist. I'm, you know, I'm just going to add it to my Spotify playlist. Um, there is, I, I went through a period like a couple months ago of buying secondhand so not directly supporting the artist but buying every single album and cd that i really really love um, and then ripping it in a lossless format or lossless from cd format onto my mac so i have this offline copy of you know your desert island discs the albums you would take to a desert island with you um and there is a noticeable difference between something ripped from the cd and spotify to me um it's very telling when like a cd of 10 songs is like 400 megabytes in size um which speaks for itself you know an average song an mp3 um from itunes the store which is very similar to what spotify will stream is like what four or five megs something like that um when a song balloons like 35 or 40 megs you can um just by size you can tell it's gonna be a a, a better quality or in theory it should be um there is a noticeable yeah. difference but as soon as i like play it on my airpods or play it over bluetooth in my car like the difference is just gone like they just bluetooth ruins it anyway not ruins it you know what i mean um to allow us the convenience of things like Bluetooth, some things have to give and it's, you know, the highest fidelity and streaming quality is the thing that often gets, uh, you know, gets taken down a peg slightly. So streaming, you know, music, buying from the store, whatever it is, you know, supporting an artist, basically not pirating music is the best thing you can do. And then I think the next best things are supporting the artist directly with CDs and things like that. Streaming is probably the worst way of doing it, but it's better than illegally acquiring it somehow. Um, you're right. So many artists, or there are quite a few artists, you think of the ones like um, Taylor Swift and whatnot, so outspoken for years against streaming services, but obviously uh, gave in or reached an agreement eventually. And then Facebook, Giphy. Jiffy. Giphy. Giphy. Giphy, yeah, Giphy. That, that's right. I mean, it is Jif. It's mm. <laughs> Well, the, the creator said it's Graphics interchange format is what you're trying to say. <laughs> it's graphics. Okay. Gah. GIF. <laughs> the English language is a wonderful thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. 400 million. 400 million. Oh, Giphy. Like you were so wonderful. Why, we, why, why Facebook? Why Where? are you going to ruin the things we like? Where? It's all right, though, because direct competitors and third-party firms will still have access to the library of GIFs and stickers. Great. I mean, you know me. GIFs are my primary way of talking to anyone, So, uh, and GIFs has <laughs> been a wonderful resource. But, I mean, there are so <laughs> many... It has been. You were wonderful. You're, you're really planning, aren't you? Honestly, like, got this sus- when Facebook takes something over, it's the worst. Like, it'll get closed down, integrated terribly... Bearing in mind, some people have brought this up and it's a very good point. There's a lot of copyright content in GIFs. Um, a lot of GIFs are from copyrighted work. So it's like somehow it's, I, I don't know if there's some weird like public license. I don't know how it works, but like which companies are now going to sue Facebook for the hell of it? Um, but there are a lot of the tech news websites, 9to5Mac, and I've done it. I think iMore have done it as well. They've, they've done like, a, we know no one likes Facebook. Here are the best alternatives. I highly recommend you go check them out. Giphy is great by no means probably the best it's just kind of the most widely integrated um it'll be interesting to see how that pans out obviously facebook owning something that if you go to twitter.com um there's like a whole gif button like it's not something that's accidentally in- integrated or whatever it's like twitter made this feature and you used yeah. giphy to provide gifts so i'd be interested to see how these direct competitors i don't know if facebook really care about twitter and pinterest anymore like i think gone are the days of twitter versus facebook they're just two different platforms for two different things i don't think facebook really ever crossed over into twitter's market and twitter never really crossed over into facebook so i don't think they're going to be that petty about it um maybe Pinterest and Instagram have a little bit of conflict of interest. Um, but yeah, it'd be a shame for, for Facebook to start ripping it out of everything. On the flip side, if you're a developer with Giphy integration, maybe now's the time to start looking elsewhere because this is where Facebook start going, ah, we're going to use this to track everybody because mm. that's why they buy stuff. Why else would they? Well, um, yeah, exactly. Why else would Facebook want a very popular app which is used to send stupid photos that move 
to one another. There's really no value in it for them. Stupid. And I don't mean it it was a a figure of speech. I'm offended, Mr. Traffics. Several users of the popular email app Edison Mail this week are reporting that they're able to see the email accounts of other users within the iOS app in what appears to be a major privacy breach. Users reporting that after enabling new sync feature, they have full access to these other email accounts. This is not okay! Just thought I would point that out. This is really not okay. Really, really, really not okay. Because if you think how many different accounts and profiles and 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 things that, that link to your email account and most people take great drastic measures to ensure their emails are kept safe and secure one of those measures is by using an email app which says it is secure email <coughs> edison <coughs> i think if you go i think pretty sure i wonder if they've changed it overnight edison mail in the app store can i can i can i can i just clarify i've never used it i never will use it after that no here you go email edison mail lightning fast and secure email still their tagline now this is like a bigger discussion this is you know this is one company that has screwed up massively technical problems security violations they just happen it is part of the modern world we live in it is by no means an excuse but it's uh it's definitely not out of the norm anymore we're very much used to talking about which app screwed up today on this show because welcome to the modern uh, the modern world the thing i have to keep reminding people about is these third-party mail clients i'm talking edison i'm talking spark I'm sure there are a plethora of others out there. So I'm not necessarily talking about Apple Mail. Apple Mail is the exception here. These third-party mail clients, I think, I have a horrible feeling, even Outlook on iOS does it, but I could be wrong on that one. They take your email, They you authorize them, often via OAuth or something like that, to your email account. So whether that's iCloud or Gmail, Microsoft Mail, whatever it is. They then take that email, route it through their servers, often, and that's how they can provide you a lot of those third-party features that we've come to know and love. The, the snooze email feature, the remind me feature, uh, different kinds of organization. Um, because that's not doesn't tend to be done in the app it's done on the server. Um, it's how a lot of them can do the advanced search. Like There's a whole bunch of features where basically the app on the device is just a viewer in some way. Um, all of the sorting or learning or snoozing, whatever, is done on the server. Now, as soon as the email is routed through another server, here comes the 15,000 ways that a already relatively insecure platform, email has never paraded itself as a, as a secure platform. Um, it's plain text going back and forth over the internet. Admittedly, the best we've kind of done to it is is SSL for normal people, um, unless you start going down the encryption route. But Apple Mail, you connect it to your IMAP, or in the olden days, ye olden days, to your pop account, um, and it pulls mail directly off the mail server. Obviously, email lives online. Email already lives on a server. It's not device to device. It's the device to the internet to the device. It lives somewhere. Um, That's how you can access your email on five different devices. Um, Apple Mail, Outlook on the desktop, I believe. All those kind of desktop, most of the desktop clients by the big uh, players will pull directly off the mail server. that's why you have to type in, if you have your own custom server, you have to type in your own IMAP details using Gmail or iCloud. They do the behind the scenes setup for you, but it's essentially the same thing. These other clients, if you've noticed, when you often, if you want to connect Gmail, you tap Gmail, you type in your Gmail login details, and then you'll get to the OAuth screen that goes, do you want to allow this app to read your email? And that is more often than not, because it is, it is going to make a server connection. It's going to drag your email through their server. Um, I'm sure there are lots of apps that don't do this, and I am paraphrasing and simplifying a lot of it slightly. But what is happening is your email is sitting on this startup, this other company's server. What has happened here is all of a sudden it's sort of getting jumbled up in between accounts, and I don't think it was everyone. I think it was like a very uh, small number of people would have access to other accounts that are on that server. So if I logged into my Edison or open my Edison mail app, I may see your account on there if you were also a user of it. Um, yeah. I got the impression that you had full access to the account from the tweets I've seen. It was it was it was not like an accident or anything. It was a you had read, write, send, you know, complete access to email, which is just not good in any way, shape, or form. Um, bit of an irony, obviously, as, 
as we, we jokingly say, the app parades itself as secure email in air quotes. Always take that with a pinch of salt when it's, when it's not an app. I think that deals with IMAP and POP directly um, because even Spark, Spark is made by the Readle team. Readle obviously have fantastic history. They're a great company that have made fantastic apps, but to offer the features, email goes through their servers. Yeah. So so just to, to add to that, actually, it's interesting you say about Spark. First off, reading online in multiple sources, multiple pages, multiple websites about even this time a year ago, Public service announcement. Edison email app has the ability to read over emails or user emails. Employees have read approximately 8,000 user emails to improve smart reply feature. Um, Edison mail app. Do you trust what they say? Most people say no. Uh, Don't use Edison mail. The company can read your emails. Again, posted a year ago. But then there was do not use the Spark email client by Readle. Now, it goes back three years ago. But again, it points the things out that it sends statistical data to several sources known for bad privacy policies, i.e. Facebook and also Google, automatically creates an account with the first email address entered and subscribes you to the newsletter, stores credentials for your email accounts and their servers, stores your emails in their servers to push them to your devices, and server infrastructures, obviously it's located in the US, not so bad. But it's not just Edison, it is the email clients, but the ironic thing is Edison said they were secure, very secure, clearly. One thing I there has to, is, is there a better way of doing it? Uh, Yeah, connect directly via IMAP. I believe IMAP and POP and all... Oh, they are I don't think they are closed they're just source. as capable aren't they well I don't think they're closed source protocols I don't think there's any way you you could integrate like I say most of the reasoning is because the server does the management the server is what provides most of these features and the app is simply a viewer um now I guess the other option is you write all this intelligence into the app itself um so the app on device is what does the learning, the sorting, the snoozing, the this, that, and the other, and then you can just use IMAP. Um, often not as easy of a user experience. One thing I, I, I would highly recommend if you're a Mac user, um, buy a license to an app called Little Snitch. It's an app that's been around since the dawn of the universe. Um, it's a very old app. Basically, it gets updated frequently. Um, fantastic. It basically allows you to see what's going on between your Mac and the outside world, and you can allow and disallow things it's like a firewall um but like a really granular one and if you have it in alert mode or i can't remember what they call it basically where you have to sort of allow and deny every connection to a third or to a non already agreed partner let's say an app wants to make um, it'll pop up uh, do you want to allow this um, you can make it a one time thing trust me there are so many apps that you open and it's like this app wants to connect to Google Analytics this app wants to connect to Facebook Analytics like it is honestly scary how many apps have just like thrown third party analytics third party services in there um, they all do it even the apps that I think seemingly have all the best intentions it's like I bought a Clean My Mac X the other day which is a great app um, but the first thing it did when I open it is like, ah, we want to connect to Google Analytics or Facebook API or something like that. Um, and it's like, ah, deny. Um, email clients have done that. I think when I opened, when I did have the Spark app on my Mac, I remember opening Spark and it, Google Analytics is one of the things. I don't know if they still do it. Um, Obviously, you don't have that control on iOS. Um, maybe you do on Android, I don't know. But you definitely don't have that control on iOS. On the Mac, you can block it from making those connections to the outside world that you don't want it to. On iOS, you just kind of got to suck it up. Mm. I don't think they've really said too much about it either, Edison, just yet. I mean, this it's a little bit of a uh, one of those PR, I guess, times where... <laughs> Disasters. It, it, well, it is a disaster, but it'll be in the 24, 48 hour news cycle. Like, mm. it'll be forgotten about in a week's time. I use forgotten about in air quotes. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, Stories okay, come and go, about, don't but, they? But would you, would you ever, okay, you might, but is, do you think most people will ever go back to using this app after? I, I, I certainly wouldn't. Most people aren't me and you. Most people don't read the tech news websites. Most people just look on the app store and it, it says <laughs> mm. secure email. Unfortunately, mm. that's just how it is. Um, most people don't read kind of the grand news level like you have to jump onto mac rumors or, or the verge to read this kind of stuff it's like it's niche websites niche news sources it's just not going to hit the mainstream this is still going to pop up on the app store for people when they search for email clients that do x y and z and people are still going to download it because it says secure email why would you have a reason now if they do a little bit of research maybe um or maybe even look at the reviews then maybe but i think this blows over gets swept under the rug um along comes the next 
female client to do it in two months time um, unfortunately that's how it goes in this world just as a side note i wonder did they use the name edison based off thomas edison no i don't know is, i would just absolutely me? assume so yeah i was going to say Speaking of email and speaking of privacy, there's currently a a measure which is currently in the middle of going through Senate, trying to pass it, at least certain um, Senates are, that would allow the FBI to collect Americans' web browsing history without a warrant. It's expected to vote on Wednesday to renew the 2001 Patriot Act, and Mitch McConnell is pushing an amendment to the law that would expand the FBI's surveillance powers. An amendment proposed by McConnell would, for the first time ever, let the FBI collect records on Americans' web browsing history and search histories without a warrant. Another amendment drafted by McConnell would give the Attorney General more oversight of FBI investigations into political operatives, like the recent FBI investigation in the Trump campaign. Um, and a bipartisan group of senators proposed a measure to block the FBI from accessing people's web browsing history without a warrant, but it failed by one vote last Wednesday. So Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is pushing forward with an amendment that would essentially give up privacy in some respects, give up a a significant part of privacy. I mean, what need would they have to collect everyone's web browsing and search histories? Um, It's far easier to do mass surveillance. Um, They don't want to see your specific history. Um, I imagine if they can get a hold of a subset, a group, everyone's history, um, even if it is, let's say, anonymous in some way, then you can do uh, learning on it. I don't know. Um, You can look for specific keywords. Um, All stuff that I think if... How do you say this non-politically? All stuff that you maybe look at on the surface and go, I don't see why that's a bad thing. I've got nothing to hide. Unfortunately, when when anything privacy related comes up, the worst possible thing to say is, it's not a problem if you haven't got anything to hide, because that's not how it works. It's a slippery slope from then on out. Um, everyone has something died in some way. Yeah, everyone's doing something wrong, probably, even if you don't realize it. Like, it's just a terrible don't give up your privacy because you think you've got nothing to hide. It's the worst possible thing. Um, I've seen a lot of people comment on this this week that this feels like it's just going to kind of go nowhere because it kind of is unconstitutional in America. Um, it feels like it go- goes against a lot of things um, and is a bit of a, a waste of time when it comes to a law. Um, I I get the impression Mitch McConnell is not the most liked human being on the planet, especially in America. Um, I Every time I was looking for what the general opinion is on this yesterday, it's like I was wading through the comments that were personal attacks on him. Um, so I get the impression this isn't his first rodeo when it comes to this type of thing. Um, not to defend him at all, it does sound like uh, not a great thing. Um, again, VPN subscriptions, they're about to go through the roof, aren't they? Um, there is just a lot of this going around at the moment. The UK won't be surprised if we try something similar. The UK have very similar, you know, we talk about it all the time, how they want to make it so they don't have so many barriers in the way between your data and when they want it. Um, the whole thing on this is they can currently get your browsing history, but they need a warrant. Basically, I assume they need a judge to sign off on their reasoning to get your browsing history. Um, Whereas what they want to turn it into is that they don't need to do that and they can just skip it. Maybe to make their lives easier, maybe so they can mass collect it. We don't know. Um, The annoying thing is that people like him... Obviously not directly, but they'd get our browsing history. But I want to see theirs. Can we request his browsing history? Um, I bet that'd be interesting to see. Um, <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like talking to people that don't have things to hide. Um, yeah. But yeah, some someone in the comments makes it. Let's do a trial run with the family of all the supporters of this bill first. Very true. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just... This is not how the internet should go every time this stuff comes up, whether it be DE bill, net neutrality, whatever it is it's the same point we bring up of why should the general consumer have to give up their privacy i appreciate that a lot of tools we have these days make the lives more difficult for intelligence agencies more and more um, a reliance Mm. on encryption and things which just makes everything more secure for us we've heard so many times where governments like want to ban encryption and at its its simplest at at its core argument we're always like okay so our online banking should be open to everyone then 
Like it's they're so like they've got they got their like horse blinders on, haven't they? Like they're looking at it as but terrorism is like always the you know, the argument they have to make. But it's like okay, but removing this allows the hackers to gain access to that. It's just like just a whirlwind of problems and 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 things reasons why it shouldn't happen just to I, solve this one tiny issue that they might make their lives a little bit more difficult. I am I'm so split on anything that comes to this because and I don't mean split with this because I, I never stray from the fact that encryption should be intact. It, it should be integral. There shouldn't be a backdoor because it doesn't work. And I, I know that from a technical standpoint. So it's not, I, I get how that would be handy. And I completely appreciate the difficulties that law enforcement agencies worldwide have when it comes to combating crime, online um, crime, fraud, terrorism, the entirety of it. But, and, and I don't think anyone any law-abiding citizen, anyone who doesn't have anything to hide, wouldn't agree that it, it would be great in an ideal world if they could just do it for those who they needed to do it for. But sadly, again, that doesn't work. That's not in an ideal world. That's not 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 the process. But then, on the other hand, I mean, you, you think about any other process whereby, for example, a house. If a criminal is living in a house, which typically they will, to enter the house, a warrant is needed. To 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 do certain things, you you need permission. You don't just go in. Okay, so, and I know that sounds very simplistic, and it is, but it just seems like they're trying to take the vulnerabilities of the internet because it's easier to do. I think it's for the same reason that people use the internet to do bad things because it's easier to do. You're behind a screen. You can do it because you think you're hidden away from it, but you're not. I think uh, you know, probably an appropriate analogy just to use your house one would be if the government mandated that every lock on the house had a master key, a hacker yeah. would just replicate the master key. It's we're not exactly ne- our yeah. biggest problem is not necessarily. I mean, it is kind of, but not necessarily with the government having direct access. It's what the government having direct access then allows others to have access to. Exactly. I.e. hackers, bad guys, etc. Exactly. I don't want the government to have access. We all have the right amount of paranoia in us now that you realise that often it's more harm than good. Um, and I've met so many people have made arguments. It's like people doing international bad stuff aren't using like Facebook. Like, you know, they're not just browsing Amazon willy-nilly type thing. It's like the access these people, you know, these governments want is like completely different. It's I like, think... that You can't just th- ban I- encryption. It's just not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, you're saying about the problem isn't the government having it, and it isn't. Deep, 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 deep down, it isn't because, and this isn't me justifying it, but GCHQ, the NSA, so on. When that all was happening, I don't think anyone knocked on your door bothering you because you searched for whatever. You know, it's it's not they're not interested. They don't care. They're not looking at you. But I, that's not the point, and I don't mean in that way. But I would rather that was the case than than global crime, global terrorism. Uh, you know, acts of violence, malicious intent, and 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 what does happen today increased. I would rather there was a, a better cap on it than, and there was ways to regulate and monitor and predict and and for law enforcement agencies to look at it and and be able to to, to you know to watch over it rather than not. I think any law abiding citizen would agree if if they realise the implications and or the you know the, the pros and cons and you think about them really carefully because at the end of the day, if 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 if, if an individual is believed to be a terrorist or a criminal or a fraudster or someone with malicious intent, of course they're going to have surveillance on. Them. Them. And I'm not talking about online, I'm talking about in person. This happens day in, day out anyway. So yes, it's right that they, they need to be surveilled online too, but you can't you can't just then weaken global encryption methods because of that. It it's such it's a rock and a hard place situation. It's all not you, one I would want to solve. All you'd do is they you'd ban encryption and it wouldn't be able to be used for legitimate things like online banking and yeah. all that would happen. Which would is, increase would increase fraudulent activity online. All 100%. That, all that would happen is hackers or, or bad guys would continue to use encryption because w- I don't think a, a terrorist is going to go, oh, it's banned, we can't use that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, we must, we must abide by the law. How <laughs> stupid do these, are these people that make these laws? It's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway. To round the show off on a happy note. Well, I say happy I was note. Say, maybe the no, I think it's happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying. Yes. Elon Musk has just rubbed salt into an already deepening and opening wound by saying that Tesla workers have an ultimatum. They violate, uh, violate California's stay-at-home order or don't get paid. 
This this guy has really went from 100 to zero in such a short space of time. Is he on a career damaging bender? I I, saw, I honestly think he he might. I saw quite a few people who say COVID-19 will define Elon Musk's legacy, which I think is a perfect way of putting it. I, even before then, uh, just the I, way he's acted during all of this, the way we spoke about it last week, um him freaking out cuz uh California wouldn't let him open his uh, factory back up in in Anaheim is it wherever it is or Fremont. Um it's just like he just went bananas and it's just like this guy is a douchebag he's incredible one thing I would say is this whole um, employment thing uh, basically you know giving the ultimatum of you shall come back to work or face unemployment there have been a lot of people saying online that this will this is very much going to turn into California versus Elon Musk spoiler alert the state will win Um, a lot of people have said if if this is if this is you if this is happening to you go consult a lawyer go consult an employment lawyer um, because this checks the box against like 500 different things that he's breaking um, that the state can still like help you with um, like don't take this and roll over and just accept it it's because he you know he says it I think someone was pointing out there's like often laws laws about you know threatened how it is like you know joining an unlawful scheme type thing or, or you know unlawful practice or whatever it is there's like a million reasons to go consult if this is you, go consult a lawyer, go consult an employment lawyer, um, because th- he can't get away with this. He just absolutely, it's absolutely unacceptable um, to uh, to say things like this. I think his direct, direct quote is, if you do not feel comfortable coming into work, you can stay at home and will be on unpaid leave. Um, it comes from an email obtained by The Guardian from Tesla's management to its workers. Um, Choosing not to report to work may eliminate or reduce your eligibility for unemployment depending on your state's unemployment agency. Uh, the must tr- has tried to sell his workers on the idea that getting back to work, making cars is so cool, an extremely honourable task per an email to staff obtained by BuzzFeed. Um, not all workers are thrilled about potentially putting their health at risk in order to make Musk's car. Um, Tesla workers told The Guardian that they feel that management is using intimidation tactics in order to get them back on the job by threatening to cut their pay and unemployment benefits if they don't show up. He obviously announced on Monday that he'd be reopening the company's enormous manufacturing plant in Fremont with some 10,000 people work, in spite of the fact, what we thought about last week, that the county has asked him not to do so. The company put forward a reopening plan which doesn't guarantee that everyone working in the plant will be provided by PPE. It, it, it dates back even before COVID. So two years ago, he didn't want his employees to unionize, but the employees wanted to. They said that that the intense pace of production at Tesla is hell. The company forces them to work. Um, it, it's wearing them down. It's causing them physical injuries. They're sacrificing their health because Tesla cannot produce a well-functioning auto production system that operates at a safe and reasonable pace. It's okay, though, because he, he urged his workers not to unionize and promised to provide them with free frozen yogurt they listened to him. This is like... I, I genuinely think he just sees it as as him and them, that he's above it all and he can he, he can do what he wants. And I really, I absolutely have lost total respect, confidence, admiration, or anything I had for the guy in that he's created multiple successful businesses and entities which are separate to each other. That, that doesn't really matter. Um, it, it There's just, a reason he, it's referred he, he to He doesn't understand how to treat his staff, doesn't understand how to treat his staff, doesn't understand how how general normal day to day things should work um and and doesn't clearly have a filter he's he's just there's so many instances everyone makes mistakes and mistakes are mistakes and people learn from them and that's fine and making many mistakes also that's fine because again if you learn from them but clearly he just doesn't get it he's dangerous he's dangerous to his own company i think the shareholders know that too there's a reason he's often referred to as part of the paypal mafia obviously Mm. being one of the co-founders of paypal paypal are known to not be or were never a nice company Mm. i don't believe they were nice employers i don't believe they were particularly friendly i think they were like a shark in the industry in a bad way um just from stories we've heard so uh 
you're right. I th- I just don't think Elon. I don't think Elon cares about the law around him. I I think he just sees like the state his factory is in is just like an inconvenience more than anything. I don't think he's respectful. I you know I I bet taxes are just like a hindrance. Um, he doesn't see the bigger picture. He he doesn't get that you know health uh, and a great economy. Um, paying your dues like all that type of stuff. I just don't think he sees any of that. I think he just has tunnel vision. I think he just has like sporadic tunnel vision because he's like 800 different projects at once. Um, mm. He's the king of making promises that just, I mean, they happen, but like 18 years behind uh, schedule. Um, he is not, I, I think after this, I think you can say he's not a good human being. This well, yeah, just... more, more so forget the business practices, forget anything about it. <laughs> yeah, just down to the, the core level. Exactly. I mean, and I don't say that lightly. I, I really don't. I, I think you have to take everything with a pinch of salt when you read it and make your own opinions on people as you find them. But clearly there just isn't, there's just something not right. And and more the fact security fraud being committed, smoking weed in a podcast as a, a global influencer, especially an entrepreneur and influencer to younger children. I, no, I just don't. I, 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 I just don't auger up with his qualities. Put it like that. Imagine if Tim Cook or Satya Nadella stooped so low as to go on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and then smoke weed like that. Imagine the impression that would give. Like, mm. can you imagine Apple or Microsoft or Google doing that? Like, it's just a different way. He just, Elon Musk just plays in a children's world. It's just well, as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, companies do have clauses and contracts which did that you represent the brand, especially from a public point of view in such a high position. So I, I would assume that they would have more sense than them to do that. But sadly, it seems Musk has a, a hold on Tesla rather than a, a, a public trading business. It's still his business deep down. It's clearly, not, and I don't understand how. I don't understand how the board haven't really done more. They've they've tried. They have tried. I know they are trying to get rid of him, but need to try harder. It's opinion. not. It's not even like oh, it's in our contract that we can't do so. It's just like <laughs> it's just common, common sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which clearly he doesn't have. Alas, we'll end on that note. That brings us to the end of 506. You can find other episodes of the show over at munchtech.tv. If you want to do what we do, podcasting, that is, at podcastassist.com. We have a book about podcasting, the ultimate guide to podcasting. It, it came out a good few years ago, but still relevant. Still help you get to where you want to be. Don't forget our interview with Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, munchtech.tv forward slash was as well. We have a newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. And if you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile. Although, thanks to Aaron's great wizardry, our website is fully mobile optimized. Join us next week, 23rd of May. Same time, same place for episode 508. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay sensible. And until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.